So open your Bibles to the book of Joel. It's not very long. You'll find it right after Daniel and Hosea, which is pretty close to the middle of your Bible. You'll pass it up real quick if you're not careful. The prophet Joel, his name means Jehovah is God. And of this man, nothing is known except the name of his father, of whom also nothing else is known. And there's nothing to commend him or his writings other than the stamp of the Almighty, the force and accuracy and significance of his prophecy. He prophesies early in the history of the Hebrew nation before its sins and multiplied themselves to the depth and magnitude of later times that he saw. But he clearly saw what no one would have imagined at the time that he prophesied. And to him God reserved the honor of predicting some of the most significant events of the age, of the whole age, the utter ruin of Israel, her restoration and blessedness, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, ushering in the church age, the spiritual warfare of the church, <clears throat> its triumph and blessedness in Christ, its abiding habitation of God, the day of the Lord, and many other things. <clears throat> Just in these few pages are all seen there. No, we're not going to cover all that in these three times. <clears throat> the actual plague of locusts, he predicted, are but a token of the unspeakable greater spiritual desolations brought on by unrepentant wickedness. And his prophecy opens on this note. I've been fascinated for years on those passages in the first few verses of Joel. <clears throat> and I have a title to this message, but I, I, I've as another one occurred to me that's a little better and a little bit more accurate. <clears throat> I'm going to speak to you tonight, Lord willing, on the best kept secret in the world. The best kept secret in the world. Well, you say after you preach it, it won't be a secret anymore. It isn't hidden. It's one most prominently displayed. There's none more prominently displayed one Nevertheless, it's still a secret, and it is a wonder indeed. <clears throat> it's an unknown wonder. Well, let's read from verse 1 of chapter 1. <clears throat> the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land, has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another children, generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. <clears throat> what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. 
Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns, for the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley. Because the harvest of the field has perished, the vine is dried up, and the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate tree, and the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. How the animals groan, the herds of the cattle are restless, because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of the sheep suffer. O Lord, to you I cry out, for the fire has devoured the open pastures, and the flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water books are dried up, and the fire has devoured the open pastures. <clears throat> it's an unknown wonder. The people are called upon to believe something heretofore unseen and which seems so extreme, has to be utterly unbelievable. Not only had these things never been seen by anyone living, but no one had ever heard of such things. It is also something to be told to future generations. And after it has passed, there will be no visible evidence of it to the next generation. That is, that he can see. They will be told about it, but nobody will believe it until it rises again in every man's personal experience. An absolute essential to the gospel. It is received no better in our day than it was in Joel's. <clears throat> People are unprepared to believe such a thing until they experience something of it themselves and then it's too late to avoid its sorrows. 
the unknown wonder, unexperienced wonder, is sin and all its ravages and curses, sorrows, griefs, and ruins. Nothing on earth is less understood, realized, and comprehended in its awful measure than sin. Nobody believes it. Sin is popularly considered as something pleasant, something to be desired, to be a thing of wisdom and prudent choice, the pursuit of the enlightened and the sophisticated. Hear the serpent's words in Genesis 3, 5, and 6. Tree to be desired, to make one wise, pleasant to the eyes. If you get it, you don't need God or anything else. For those who grudgingly admit that it's wrong, <clears throat> it is believed to be a pleasant and profitable thing that makes this present life worthwhile and fulfilled even if it must be paid for later. And even though we may suffer punishment and loss for it later, it's a fun thing now. <clears throat> now this is vividly testified in that people who believe the Bible <clears throat> and that there will be a resurrection and judgment want to live in sin as long as possible and get saved just before they die. They think sin's a blessing. <clears throat> I can illustrate that. <clears throat> we'll talk first about the parable of the fellow who was trying to hire some men to work in his fields and he goes down and he finds some men standing around idle and he, he hires them and he agrees to pay them whatever it was, a penny for a day. No, he agrees to pay them whatever is right. So he goes out there and they hire those and he goes back and there's some more fellows there and he hires them too. Next hour he goes back and there's some more fellows there and he hires them too. Payday comes, there are some guys there that worked all day long. Some that just worked one hour. They all got the same thing. They got kind of mad about it. They didn't think it was right. You don't either, do you? Here's a little girl, five, six, seven years old maybe. The Lord opens her heart with the gospel by his spirit when she's very very young she receives the Lord Jesus Christ becomes a Christian devours the Bible the word of God and lives an exemplary life and serves the Lord with all her heart and soul all her life <clears throat> here's an old man never been anything but a reprobate <clears throat> drink caroused been immoral stole got into everything that could be gotten into, nothing he hadn't done, <clears throat> spent a life of riotous living. He's 80 years old. Somebody comes to him and witnesses it to him on his deathbed. He becomes a Christian. <clears throat> they both go to heaven, same place. You think that's fair? 
Somebody got cheated, didn't it? Yeah, somebody got cheated, but it wasn't the little girl. It was the old man. But we think just the opposite. We think that sin is something to be held on to. It's something blessed. It's something will do us good and it's a great treasure. And we are giving up something terribly, terribly valuable when we go up for sin. You see why it's such a secret? Nobody believes it. You can't tell them. Has anybody told you this? No, they don't. The ravages of sin. <clears throat> this is what he portrays here in these consuming insects. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. So Joel wonderfully wraps his visions of sins, desolations, in the figure of the relentless and utter ruin wrought by devouring pests, invading the land of Israel and consuming every living plant. What one pest leaves, another takes away until there's absolutely nothing left in the land to sustain life. Now Jehovah speaks here in the first person through the mouth of the prophet of these locusts as an alien army, a fierce, innumerable, invincible host invading his land and utter laying it waste. <clears throat> the ravages of sin under the old covenant dispensation. The old covenant was made with its blessings or its curses related directly to the people's physical existence, the temporal prosperity and peace of their nation. This is graphically laid out in Deuteronomy 28, 28th chapter of Deuteronomy and verses 1 through 8. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country, and blessed shall be the fruit of your body, and the produce of the ground, and the increase of your herds, and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks, and blessed shall be your basket. And your kneading bowl, and blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you and your storehouses, and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. But then on the other hand, in verse 15, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body, that's your children. 
and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. And the Lord will send on you cursing and confusion and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do until you're destroyed, until you perish quickly, because the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. And the Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has contumed you from the land which you are going to possess. And the Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever and with inflammation, with severe burning, and fever and with a sword and with scorching, and with mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. And the Lord will change the rain of your land of powder and dust from the heaven. It shall come down on you until you be destroyed. And the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Now these physical types of new covenant spiritual realities are eminently suited for for a nation that has no insurance of any kind. No welfare programs, no crop supports, no disaster relief. They are dependent solely upon the mercies of their God. That is precisely how God intends all of us to live. We're busily trying to make arrangements, other arrangements, because we don't want to be dependent upon the mercies of our God. But they were. The just shall walk by faith. It was an agrarian economy, not built upon banking and financing, industry, marketing, trading, or of any of the hundreds of service industries we have today. Therefore, the ravages of sin are all taken out on the crops, the plants, the trees, everything they cultivated and depended upon for livelihood. But the locusts and the worms took everything, left absolutely nothing, even stripped the cambium, the bark, off the trees so they died. Rain ceased. The land dried out so that nothing could germinate and grow. The ponds and streams dried up. All life, everything life lived, that lived, that could sustain life was gone. And the means to regenerate it was gone. Even if you had had seed, the clods were dry, there was no water, nothing could go. The seeds were rotten. Ruin and death is total. It had no seed, had nothing. It's total. Ruin and death could not be expressed in more clear and vivid, absolute ways than what we have pictured here. The ravages of sin. The ravages of sin in today's society viewed with old covenant mentality. It's a lamentable fact 
and a testimony to the carnality of the overwhelming bulk of Christendom, not Christianity, but Christendom, that old covenant mentality still prevails in respect to sin and ungodliness. These are seen more clearly to affect our corporate, mundane, worldly existence and society as a whole rather than our personal, spiritual lives. We wring our hands and moan about what's happening to our nation and to our economy and to our schools and to our institutions. It's absolutely true that sin corrupts and destroys society and industry and education and homes and families and ethics just as these pests one after another consumed everything that had life in Joel's vision so does this wicked insatiable beast of sin eat up a nation civil order and government unrighteousness following immediately upon the heels of ungodliness. I hope you understand what I mean by that. First, you've got to get rid of the idea of God. You've got to expunge that profane, politically incorrect G-O-D word to where folks don't even know that word. From any kind of public venue, <clears throat> get rid of God. Get rid of the idea of God. Stop people from thinking about God. Purge the idea and thought of God out of their minds. Immediately after that ungodly state sets in, unrighteousness sets in. Because righteousness can only come from God. Unrighteousness following on the heels of ungodliness <clears throat> is a curse and a destroying plague to any nation and any society. This is not to bane bur burden, but they're right in that respect. It destroys marriage, families. It robs children of their childhood. Little boys and girls don't get to be children anymore. <clears throat> they're not treated like children anymore. They're not brought up the way God intended them to be. It robs them of their discipline, of their reverence and their submission. They never learned that. In the name of education, it plunges the whole of society in an abysmal darkness. It vaunts and bloats itself and is content with nothing less than absolute sway over every mind in the country. And wherever such worldly sophistication proliferates, it's immediately accompanied by spiritual desolation and rot of the soul. It destroys industry. <clears throat> it corrupts labor and management roles, making greedy, heartless tyrants of employers, lazy, goal-breaking, careless, unprofitable drones of employees. What am I talking about? I'm talking about sin. It makes good government impossible. Kings become madmen or spoiled children, greedily seizing upon anything that meets their fancies. Elections are decided upon the most foolish and irrational and stupid of issues. 
they become silly bidding contests. And people are idiotic enough to elect the biggest liar and the slickest fraud. Judgment and justice are only empty, meaningless symbols flung around among a people who have forgotten their God and His law. Values and ethics are created out of thin air. Whatever happens to be the vogue or fad of the day, every political entity is run by corruption and brides. Sin blinds the system to justice. Now you see why I didn't want to preach this tonight. People may temporarily have money in their pockets, but it's worthless and will buy nothing of any value. They may exert little sweat, little physical strain, but labor more and rest not at all. They may have time to do what they please, but nothing yields any life, peace, or commitment, contentment. They pine away desperately, picking up and dropping one toy and reaching for another. Art loses its beauty, its order, and its reason. Music is a mad Clanging, howling, thumping, evil, discord. Poetry and song sinks into profanity, cursing, murderous, filth. Paintings and sculpture mirror perversion, disorder, and irrationality. And the more graphically murder, violence, horror, and filth is displayed in entertainment, the more it is lusted after. The military loses its morale. There's nothing left noble in the nation to love and sacrifice for. It becomes mercenary, flaccid, and ineffective. The worms of sin eat everything. Nothing is left. And the whole thing crumbles from within. It's no small part <clears throat> Of this darkness <clears throat> and loss itself that has the religious right, so-called Christian activism, spending its energies and its resources loudly and fervently attempting to correct the rot and ruin of the nation by harping on various aspects of these corporate curses and trying to correct them by political action. Media blitzes, economic boycotts, legislation, lawsuits, and uh, generally turning the church into a forum to bring our nation back to God. But missed and lost in this whole mad frenzy is the simple fact that this corporate societal ruin is only the consequence of the ruinous ravages of sin in people, the individual heart and soul. More laws of men are useless until men bow to the God from which any law makes any law valid and right. 
And so we come to the matter of the ravage of sin in the soul, which is the heart of the whole matter tonight. New covenant, spiritual realities, where the real problem lies. Some rock-bottom fundamental facts. <clears throat> Talking about sin. Some rock-bottom fundamental facts. God is. You don't get any lower. You don't get any more foundational than that. For they that come to God must believe that God is. God is. Well, He is. God is. God's wise. Think God knows what He's doing? God's wise. <clears throat> he's good. Indeed, He's absolutely perfect in wisdom and love and kindness. What He does is the wisest, kindest, most gracious, blessed thing that can possibly be done. You can't improve on it. God is. His commandments and His law and His will and His instructions, His established ways to communicate it to His people are not designed to restrict life and joy and fulfillment, but to facilitate life to its perfect fullness. Jesus' words. The thief cometh not but to steal and kill and destroy. I am come that they may have life and life more abundantly. How many people do you know who believes that? You know why they don't believe that? They believe the best kept secret in the world. The lie that sin is something that's good. They don't believe the ravages of sin. <clears throat> his established ways, his commandments, his law, his wills and instructions, and his established ways communicated to his people are not designed to restrict your life and joy, but to facilitate life to its perfect fullness. <clears throat> He's our maker and our creator. Indeed, he is our source. Surely nothing makes more sense than to believe that he knows and wills best for us. Well, you say, what, 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 kind, of, what kind of evidence do I have for that? Come on, prove that to me. Well, the garden scene for once. When God put the man in the garden, he put everything there that he could possibly want or need or desire that would make life pleasant for him and said, help yourself. Everything good. To know him and to obey him is life and his law and his commandments cannot give life, but they do safeguard it. To listen to the serpent and to reject and disobey God is death. Absolute loss of everything, moral and spiritual ruin and desolation. Sin is simply the rejection of God and God's law. And its judgment does not wait on a final judgment. It's immediate judgment and desolation itself. 
It is systematically and relentlessly robs us of life. What worm worm does not eat, the next one does, devours until nothing is left. <clears throat> now, I'm not denying, I'm not even suggesting that there isn't a literal eternal punishment after this death. But the judgment for sin, the desolations and ruin and punishment for sin does not wait on hell. It starts immediately. Those awful desolations are graphically cataloged in Romans 1, 18 through 32 and also in Isaiah 59, 3 through 9. I think I'm going to read those in Isaiah you're familiar with the ones in Romans. I'll make reference to them in just a little bit. But in Isaiah 59, verse 1, verse 2. Well, go ahead and read verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins. Your sins have hidden his face from you. So that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. And your lips have spoken lies and your tongues have perverted perversity. Verse 9. Therefore justice is far from us. Nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the twilight. We are as in dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears, moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Sin is a thief. It's a robber. It's a murderer, it's a merciless tormentor, it's an iron prison, an open grave that does not wait on the great and final judgment. It's a swarm of locusts chewing away all that is life and leaving nothing. First, there's suppression of truth. I'm just describing now what the first chapter of Romans tells us. A suppression of truth. Now the world's full of truth. Everywhere you look you see descriptive, teaching, enlightening, reality. It shines from the universe. It grows from the ground. It waves at you from the trees. It whispers to you in the breeze. <clears throat> There's no tongue, no nation where the testimony of God is not clear. Men know it. But sin suppresses it and pushes it out of their thoughts. And unable at first to get rid of the knowledge of God and the thoughts of God and the sensibility of God, sin corrupts it. That is, corrupts the knowledge of God. Reduces him to a corrupt man. Then four-footed beasts and then creeping things. Pride, the ark sin, vaunts and puffs men up. Gives them the illusion of being wise. You don't have that problem, do you? While they really are becoming more and more stupid fools. 
their minds being filled with emptiness, vanities, stupidity, and nothingness. God gives them over to the corrupting lusts of their hearts, <clears throat> dishonoring and abusing their bodies among themselves. Society becomes a pack of wild dogs, preying on each other, robbing, killing, raping one another. Not a pretty picture. God sees it. How could the woman have possibly known when that awful question was put to her in the garden, what have you done? And yet God saw it all at that time. She didn't think she had done anything very badly, but God saw his whole creation and the man that he had made in his image and everything ruined, utterly desolated. That's the reason he calls it. An alien army has come in. They've barked my fig tree. They've made it desolate. They've robbed it. God gives him over. Because sin is never satisfied, normal lusts give way to perverted ones. Men lose their manhood and try to be women. <clears throat> women lose their femininity and try to be men. And both now helpless, victims of demons. The brief respites they get from illicit drugs and sex acts. They give themselves over to unspeakably vile and filthy acts. And the scriptures immediately follows that with these words. These awful words receiving in themselves the penalty for the error which was due. They are receiving the penalty for their sins and the fruit of it. Romans one twenty seven. And because they hate and knowledge, the knowledge and consciousness of God, God even relieves them of that blessedness. Don't like to think about God. I'm tired of the idea of God, okay? No God in the universe. Oh boy. Everything now becomes empty and worthless. Stop now and think just a moment. No God. No intelligent, omnipotent, benevolent, gracious person in charge of this whole thing. It's just all just a bunch of happenings. No God. No God. Everything is empty and worthless. Nothing is left but darkness, depression, joylessness, restlessness, fear, guilt, condemnation, with no remedy. And no hope. Why are you here? Does your life have any meaning at all? Does being have any meaning at all? Why eat another meal? Why breathe another breath? It begins with darkness and ends in darkness. This is what's left after the ravages of sin. In the first psalm and the fourth verse, it is, it is described as chaff, husk, hulls, hamelessly blown about with the wind. In the book of 
Jude, trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever and ever. Jude 12, 13. I haven't given you a fantasy. This is real. This is reality. What to do? What can you do? Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. You know, he was putting on a show of being humbled. Rend your heart, not your garments. This has got to begin with a heart and soul. We don't need no more outward shows. Had too much of that already. Rend your heart, not an outward thing. It has to be an inward soul thing. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Well, will it do any good? Well, I don't know. But he is gracious and merciful. Would he save me if I can? I don't know, but he's a gracious God. He's been known to do that. He's not going to save you where you are. For he's gracious and merciful, he's slow to anger and of great kindness. He's approachable. He will be entreated. And he relents from doing harm. He does that sometimes. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind and a grain offering and a drink offering for your God. Here's where the gospel comes in. And this is the incredible thing that we'll begin to speak on tomorrow evening, the Lord willing. He says in verse 25, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Now that is incredible. How can you restore years? Something gone and passed. Oh, I'd, like, I'd like last year's restored. No, I, don't, I didn't like last year too very much. Restoring years? Restoring something when there's nothing left? How can anything live? There's no seed left. There's no water. There's nothing. There's nothing to restore from. Isn't that amazing? But he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. Now notice this. In the first chapter, he says, this army has come in and assailed my fig trees in my land. In verse 25, he said, that was my army. My great army, which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah for the God who is and was and shall be forever. And in orders all things by his might and his mighty hand. Great in kindness and mercy, unsearchable in wisdom and goodness. Blessed be your name. How true and just and perfect and righteous are your judgments. How merciful and kind you are. What greatness, what kindness, what condescension to have mercy on such wretches as we. But you are. Hear the prayer of he who turns to you with all his heart tonight. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.